0: Thanks for downloading show 91 of the C-Suite Podcast, the first of two episodes that we're producing in partnership with PR Week that we're recording at their Strategic Internal Communications Conference taking place in Canary Wharf, London. My name is Russell Goldsmith and I'm going to be chatting to a number of the speakers from today's conference, which we hope will provide a real flavour and understanding of the topics and issues being discussed. And to kick off this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Stuart Williamson, Director of Communications at Nationwide Building Society. Stuart is speaking after lunch on how to get leadership to seems to drive the internal communications agenda. Uh, Stuart, where do you start in getting buy-in from senior decision-makers in the organisation?
1: Hi Russell. Well, um, we uh, at Nationwide, uh, we we start from a place of um, trying to deal in facts quite a rational organisation being a financial services firm but when I uh, started in the role I recognised that there were many opinions as we all know internal comms can be quite a kind of subjective matter and uh, quite experienced that many different leaders would have many different views about what was working what wasn't working and all too often sometimes the loudest voice would come out of the room and say no one understands this no one understands that and actually you would then get sent off you know a flurry of work would, would go on to respond to that brief And it would create, number one, quite a chaotic story internally. And number two, quite a lot of work from from within the team. And and when you dug a bit further, when you spoke to some of those leaders, more often than not, their point of view was based on sometimes a sample size of just one or two people. So we recognised that we needed to start to deal, in fact, really understand where we need to point our communication efforts. And uh, show to leaders real insight into what's working, what parts of the story are landing and which aren't we've all been there.
0: So what I was, yeah, so what I was going to ask then is what have you implemented at Nationwide to avoid that happening?
1: So we set up a quarterly um, insight tool and it's based on three 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 questions really. To what degree do you understand uh, Nationwide's strategy? Uh, you know, in terms of where we're trying to get to, why we're trying to get there. If you can understand it, then we really need to start to get people to believe it. So the next question is is it believable? Do you think it's the right thing to do? Is it worth you investing your time? In what we're asking you to do and finally if we can build understanding and we can get people to believe it's worthwhile we've really got to help people understand what action they can take so we measure understanding belief and action right across the society but we also cut that by um, the divisions across the across the society how
0: how are you delivering
1: that Uh, so we we do it uh, through a survey quarterly it's now gone half yearly But we we deliver it at a uh, society, I say society, we're a building society, so uh, yeah, that's why I keep using the word society. Uh, uh, We deliver it at an organisation level. So what are all our 18,000 employees understanding, believing and knowing what to do to act? but we also break it down into each of the constituent parts of our organization so that we get a really clear picture across the organization. What's working, what's not, what do we need to dial up, what do we need to dial down? But we can also do it within teams so that you're able to really work with leaders to help them understand how they can channel their communication efforts. So they're not trying to ball the ocean and tell everyone everything in one go. Where can we really focus in our efforts? But where do we really think about how we communicate? Because each of those areas, understanding belief and action, require different ways of engagement. Uh,
0: listeners may have heard the bell going off in the background yeah. there. That, that's for the next session. But so we're, um, not,
1: we're not a boxing match. No, are we, no?
0: absolutely. Yeah, round, round two. Uh, so c- can you share some examples of how... This has then uh, led to the development of a, of a particular organised um, internal comms campaign.
1: Yeah, well, th- there's um, I, I think I think as, as I've alluded um, for each of those areas, what's been really interesting is that there are different ways of engaging people to build understanding, belief, or action. So understanding we find can be quite rational, and uh, so we've developed. I've, I feel my voice dropping now that the, everyone's I know, going it's back everyone's into the, it's back, nice into and quiet. the <laughs> So so from an understanding perspective, it's really helping people understand where we're trying to get to what's the vision for the organisation and for that we developed something called a really short explainers series so 30 second clips where sometimes to everyday people right across the organisation some of these challenges can be really big and really complex how do I as an individual contribute to these goals? So we developed something called an explainer series where we we challenge a person in the organisation to explain a problem, part of the strategy something that might seem a bit nebulous less to all of us in 30 seconds so that people can really understand it in a much more manageable everyday way and that's been quite a different way of doing things it's also been quite fun um, because uh, in financial services we can deal with some quite technical jargon from time to time Another example, particularly around um, belief, is to, to build belief, you really need to help people understand that, um, and show people that what you're asking them to do is working in other parts of the organisation. So n- there's no such thing as a new idea, I guess. And uh, we, we um, put leaders in cars and created a mini-series called Driving Conversations. There was no singing involved. There was no James Corden. There was no Mariah Carey in the back. Uh, you, you don't quite get that kind of glitz and glamour uh, over in Swindon. One of the big challenges for us as an organisation is how can we be more efficient? How can we work smarter? You know, actually, that's a really big challenge for the organisation. And we put everyday um, employees with a leader in a car and they have a conversation, a really honest conversation about uh, how things are achievable and and whether or not they they can actually be be delivered. So that's really about belief. And the final one is action. And And I've heard it a lot today in the conference. and It's been fantastic to hear that there's many similar challenges about agility and speed that organisations need to work in very different ways. One of the things we recognise is that we had to unlock the the actions and ideas and pace and passion that our people have right across the organisation. There's 18,000 of us. How can we unlock more of that from across our organisation to drive greater levels of speed and agility? Well, one thing um, we we created was a competition called the Arthur Webb Challenge Cup. And Arthur was was a member of the nationwide board. He was on there for about 50 years. His mantra was sympathy, simplicity and speed. And that's back, you know, in the time of the Second World War. And those three words, we think, still remain today. So we created a competition where it's an annual competition. And every year, we invite anyone across the organisation to find a problem or an opportunity, a problem that either our members face day to day or a problem that people face in their role in terms of getting things done. And we've given them complete accountability, complete empowerment to get it done. There are a few uh, requirements. They have to create a team. They've got to create a team from across the organization. So really drive collaboration. They've got to get a sponsor from within the business and they don't get any budget. So they have to identify that problem, find a network, and identify a way of solving it and they have the complete empowerment and accountability to do that and make it happen and that culminates in a really big final event at the at the end of the year
0: and and what impact have you seen these well any any of those examples that you've shared what what impact have you seen that on the business
1: so I think some of them are are quite incremental um, and, and through what we've measured so the understanding belief and action scores we've measured we have seen uh, a, a growth in those measures, albeit relatively slow. We start from a relatively strong base. But what we have seen is in pockets, we have seen people feel and, and tell us that they feel much more empowered. When you take the Arthur Webb Challenge Cup, for example, we reckon that we, those who were involved uh, in the first year's competition have saved... Multiple hundreds of thousands of pounds in our members' money. We're a member and organization, but also in that's not just in terms of doing things quicker, finding smarter ways of doing things. It's also in the time that is saved in working smarter together. So um we are trying these things out, we're experimenting. They're by no means we are and are by no means the finished article at the minute. But we are we're giving these things a go and it's uh you know it's working in some pockets and others I think are other people are probably scratching their heads a little bit.
0: (laughs) Well listen, that's that's great. some uh, brilliant case studies to uh, kick this podcast off. So, uh, Stuart, thanks for sharing those with us and good luck with your talk later.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: So joining me now is Helen Willits, Director of Internal Communications at BT. Um, Helen presented the first session of the day with her colleague, uh, Tom Engel, who is the Director of External Communications at BT. Um, They were talking about rebuilding one of the most established brands in the UK from the inside out. Um, Helen, when you got to BT yourself, uh, what what were the challenges that, that you faced from an internal comms perspective?
2: I guess there's kind of two parts to this. So so first of all, as a company, I would say BT, when I joined, which was January 2018, uh, was seen internally and externally as quite old-fashioned, a little bit kind of living in its history, you know, kind of a very old-fashioned broadband landline company. And actually, BT was trying to modernize itself to be thought of as a kind of modern technology company. So there was a massive kind of reputational perspective that needed to change. And specifically from an internal comms point of view, you could see how that was adding to that problem. So I inherited a really lovely, quite large team of people. And the way that it was kind of set up was quite old fashioned. We were man marking senior leaders and kind of taking briefs and, you know, sending out long form corporate things to people to tell them about what was going on. And it was really one way. And it basically meant that we weren't able to kind of create a community of advocates. You know, there's 100,000 people working across BT and OpenReach. And really, every single person there should be an advocate of our brand. And we just saw that the lag between Pride, which was really high, which comes from an organisation that's been around a really long time and kind of did some amazing things in history, and advocacy where people would actually recommend that people would come and work at BT or recommend its products and services, massive, massive gap. And internal comms, I think, is perfectly placed to kind of change that, actually.
0: Definitely. So, you, you talked about uh, in your session, you talked about your inside out program. T- tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so I find that internal communications is best placed really tightly next to external communications and it doesn't work like that in every company. Sometimes it's part of HR and then internal comms ends up being the kind of offshoot of engagement. Sometimes it's in marketing and we end up doing a bit too much spin-led stuff than just kind of paint everything purple stuff at BT. And I think when you are trying to rebuild a brand from the inside out, and that is how you should rebuild any brand in my view, because you have 100,000 people right there ready to be your fan base. You've just got to equip them with the right stuff. And I'd say there are, two sides to it so one is making best friends with your external comms team and saying actually let us break the news first internally let us tell the stories first internally let's find amazing stories internally and put them external and you know you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer and it tells you that the most trusted source of any organisation is its employees. So if you can arm them to tell those stories, whether it's news, whether it's strategy, whatever it is, that's when Inside Out really comes into its own. But it's hard to do because, you know, it's, it's quite a brave thing to do. And a lot of the time, lots of senior people in the business thinks that, you know, sending a press release is everything. That's how you break news. It's a really different mindset and you have to have a really brilliant external comms team that understand the power of internal and work with you to make it outside in and inside out.
0: What about though, when... Um... News breaks that you weren't necessarily uh, ready for. So obviously, just just recently, we had, um, you know, we're recording this in the lead up to uh, the the general election here in the UK. Uh, Labour made an announcement about renationalising your business, <laughs> your organisation. Um, h- how do you cope with something like that then?
2: I mean, I love, I live for that stuff. <laughs> I love, I love a good crisis. Um, so we didn't get much notice on that, right? So we had a couple of hours notice that this was going to play out on the news at ten. And it's a perfect opportunity to put your inside-out principles into practice and put your money where your mouth is, right? So we could have, and we did, uh, send our chief executive out doing lots of interviews on Sky and ITV, etc., But what the first thing we did was we recorded a video where we literally gave him two or three things to say, and we relied on his brilliant leadership, actually, and his completely commercially focused, direct response to employees. And we put out a one and a half minute video that went live as the news at 10 was playing out and everybody was seeking out. And it's interesting to see how many people do seek out. Has my organisation actually bothered to say anything to me? And we were seeing the numbers tick up in the thousands between 10, 11 o'clock midnight on the night that that broke with people just, you wouldn't believe the sentiment that came out from people like this, this is the kind of company I want to work for. I feel armed. My family are calling me. My friends are asking me, are you going to be renationalized? And I already have a view from my chief executive telling me what he thinks about that, the pros and cons, and not to worry. It was just the, you know, it's the perfect moment in a crisis to make sure you hit your inside out principle. None of your people, should be hearing things in the press that you haven't given a view on already
0: and, what, and what, where is that when you say you put that out what pla- is there a platform that you're using internally to, to share that video
2: yes so uh, we use Workplace by Facebook um, we got it in in record timing actually earlier this week, year in about six, uh, six weeks and it really does work it's Um, probably one of the most intuitive platforms. And we scoured the market, actually, because, you know, you can do these things on the cheap. I would advise not to do that. I think don't build your own. Don't go for something a bit substandard. The best thing to do is give something to people which is really intuitive, and they will go there and use it in their own free time and at work time.
0: So what other things um, have you been doing to drive your whole Inside Out programme and make it
2: work in, in BT? So we've done a bunch of stuff, actually. I'll give you an example of one of the most simple things we've done, which has been weirdly effective, which is we gathered up all of the big kind of news, whether it's a massive product launch or service launch, whether it's something huge we're doing for colleagues, and we've literally started numbering them. So, from the moment that the new chief executive arrived, we kind of set out to say, we are going to change this company from the inside out and then prove it to people. So, you know, number one was we were first to 5G. We told our people first and all about what that's going to do for customers. Number two, I think, was we launched the biggest ever um, UK investment program property program number three was we made everyone a shareholder that just went on and on and on and all of these things are big and massive and they either make a difference to our colleagues our customers or our country and so those big gorgeous proof points going one two three four just going through the organization like a really exciting moment every time one of them drops and lands in the organization and then they read about it externally whether it's through the advertising or through press releases etc has made such an enormous difference. So it's both in moments of you have to plan for Inside Out and you have to do it when it's a crisis. Both of things, those things have to go hand in hand, really.
0: Terenza. So um, just finishing off, any um, sort of final takeaways that you'd like to leave for our listeners?
2: Uh, there were three things that uh, Tom and I concentrated on today, actually. And it's three of about 10 to 15 things we're doing. So we picked the ones we thought were giving us the greatest impact. So number one was story. Ruthlessly own your story as corporate affairs, not just internal comms, the way you talk to your investors, your people, your customers has to be the same. There's no point having 85 taglines internally and then a totally different brand externally and then you tell your investors something else you know communications 101 it matters that you have a story that ladders up for everybody so that it feels true whichever audience group that you're in that's hard to do but important number two we talked about content I think in internal comms that we are doing ourselves a disservice with the levels of creativity that we put into what we do um, I see still too many patronizing campaigns or long-form corporate bobbins and I think we've got to really set the buy exceptionally high for the kind of content that we give our people both as a trusted news source, when you're giving people information and you're giving them the full story, you're not giving them the kind of senior leaders, let's brush over a few things, tell the truth, right through to the content, which has to be really entertaining and interesting. You know, we're just commissioning a a TV show at the moment actually, which will feature all of our employees that is just for internal, we're not getting any external production company involved, but we let that go external because it's inside out. And I think you have to do both things. The news has to be brilliant and the content has to be amazing and not patronising or tired. And the final thing was around leadership uh it's so important that when you know hr a doing amazing leadership programs and all the rest of it that we're right in there with them helping leaders be a different kind of leader from a communications point of view I think that thing we were talking about about Philip doing that video to everybody really honestly off the cuff with five seconds notice not every leader feels comfortable with that and we've got to get the leaders from behind the out of the back of the sofa and saying it's okay to talk to your people about the truth of course you've got to be a bit cautious as you always do but get in front of the news and really you know unite your leadership team behind a common story telling the truth doing it brilliantly it's a different kind of leadership and it pays dividends I think.
0: You've clearly got a passion for this.
2: I have a lot of passion. It was very difficult to fit my session into 20 minutes and let someone else speak. That's fantastic (laughs) well
0: for now uh, Helen Willis thank you for joining
2: the show. Thank you so much.
0: Next to join me is John Townsend, Head of Internal Communications at UNICEF UK. Uh, John presented earlier today in a breakout session talking about the art of storytelling and how to engage and empower your workforce via your narrative. Uh, John, given the work that UNICEF uh, does, it must provide you with some incredible stories to tell. So surely getting colleagues to share those stories uh, should be simple, shouldn't it?
3: Well, you're absolutely right. We do have amazing stories and you'll see them in all our external comms. But sometimes there's just a little gap between people feeling, I don't know if it's confident enough or um, that it's the right thing to share those quite emotional stories internally. So we try and change that. Uh, everyone comes to work for UNICEF because they, they want to help children. But like all companies, you can kind of sometimes get bogged down in day-to-day and bureaucracy and process and internal shenanigans. So we try and give people the license and the platforms to share those amazing stories that really kind of reconnects with the cause and aside even from the cause, just making their lives easier by communicating more efficiently, I'd say.
0: So can you talk us through how, then that process of how you, you know, select those people, encourage them, train them? Because I know earlier today you were talking about you know, getting people to become ambassadors. So there must be some challenges that you face along the way you know, to do that.
3: Yeah, definitely. So I mean, we want everyone to be an ambassador, if they can be. And we'll try and upskill them and give them the tools to be able to do that. So the way we do that is uh, running an employee ambassador program. So uh, everyone who joins should go on an induction course around um, storytelling and telling the UNICEF story with impact and understanding their audience. So hopefully that shows to them the power of storytelling and then also ways to use it. And I very much subscribe to the, um, if you tell people, they'll forget. If you show them, they might understand. And if you involve them, then they will really get it. So the way we do that is is giving them the opportunity to go out and talk about UNICEF and to share stories. Um, And we put them in front of school children. We work with over 2,000 rights-respecting schools. So we go and run assemblies, we go and do careers fairs, and we give them lots of volunteering opportunities so they can kind of put their knowledge and skills in practice. And we find that they then come back and it's given them an extra shot of adrenaline jolt in the arm around UNICEF's uh, story itself.
0: I was actually going to ask that about in terms of the impact you see on the the working culture and the environment. Does does it kind of spread all the way through the organisation then?
3: Yeah, you see it when it's done right, it catches. And I mean, we use workplace, for example, and we encourage people to share stories uh, all over the place as much as they can. We've written a line in people's programme visits, uh, instructions that they're kind of required to tell a story when they get back about what they visited and, and why and and how our work has changed children's lives there. And a lot of people do that on Workplace. Just a quick video, a quick photo and a story. Just picking up on, on the fact that you mentioned
0: Workplace there, I read recently an article in Third Sector magazine about how you use that, that platform.
3: I thought maybe for those who hadn't read that article, could you share a bit more about what's involved? Mm, sure. So... I mean, we see Workplace as a really useful tool that people don't need to go through the internal comms official process. They can just take a picture, take a video, live stream and share away. Um, we work in 191 countries. So there's a lot of um, trips where people are seeing amazing things, but sometimes it's, it's hard to translate that when they come back and then three weeks later, they, they do a talk or they or can just get lost. So using Workplace means that you can share stuff instantly and from the right areas. And we try and encourage that with, with specific groups as well where they can talk about our impact. Our CEO, for example, has a, a specific group that he regularly updates when he's at, at different different interesting things that people will be keen to see. So hopefully it just facilitates and makes it easy for people.
0: Excellent. And just going back to the, the ambassadors, how many do you have then across the business? Well, I would say everyone
3: is an ambassador, but... Good answer. (laughs) uh, We've probably officially trained about 50% of our workforce now in storytelling, and this, this is in the UK. I'd love to scale it up to the whole thirteen thousand global well, users, yeah. but at the moment, just UK. So we're getting there, but hopefully that culture is gradually taking over.
0: Fantastic! And just coming back to this uh, conference today, any um, sort of key takeouts that that you've heard and you thought, yeah, I'm going to take that back and implement that into uh, into the organisation.
3: Yeah, I love the line manager um, session that Rachel Miller just did, and I think. The, the one practical thing I'll do is, is sharing some kind of manager secrets that they, they shouldn't necessarily share with everyone at the time. It's just for them, she said, to give them that sense of uh, inside knowledge and track. So it's not just a communication they pass on. Oh, well, That was quite a good tip.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll give a shout out to Rachel because she has been on the podcast before. So that's Rachel Miller of uh, All Things I See. Listen, John, that's great. Thank you so much for joining the show. And uh, we are back after this quick
4: break. Thank you. You're listening to The C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favourite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do.
0: So next to join me is Vanessa Unwin, Global Head of Internal Communications at Hitachi Rao. Vanessa presented a case study earlier today on communicating through global change, Maybe you could start by just giving a bit of background to um, Hitachi Rail and the lead-up to the story that you shared in your session.
5: Yeah. So Hitachi Rail, um, there's 14,000 colleagues across 24 different countries. Um, and 76 nationalities altogether, which is quite phenomenal, really. That's a hell of a lot. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of people to talk with and listen to. Um, yeah, so every there's Hitachi people in every single continent, I think, um, that absolutely are, actually. And the change that I talked about today was a global reorganisation which we started in September this year, so not that long ago. Um, and that was against the backdrop of a new CEO who joined in April and the founder of the business uh, who joined the rail business 12 years ago in the UK actually leaving to go to Japan where our corporate headquarters is so people talk about change as a constant, I mean you can really say that for us this year Um, and the reorg announcements that happened were quite significant for people I think Um, they really did show how um, nobody likes change apart from a wet baby which is one of my favourite phrases that I've heard recently.
0: And um Challenging in terms of different time zones and languages?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So um, time zones, uh, we couldn't, when we were communicating, we couldn't find one time uh, that suited everybody um, to join either a VC or a phone call or even receive a message. Um, we had to find what was the best fit for the most people. So I think we managed 18 different countries out of those 24 um, in terms of coinciding uh, what we were doing. And then languages, yes. Uh, English is our common language, as it is with many businesses, but actually, you know, we did a survey last year in preparation for all of this which showed that people are quite unconfident in what they understand. Um, in our industry, the rail industry, there's lots of jargon. And um, people do generally think they understand what's being said when, actually, when we found out last year and did a survey, they they don't understand. So, yeah, we've translated. We've become a bit of a translation machine. So we're translating into Italian, French and um, Japanese for everything that we do now.
0: Excellent. So can you talk us through exactly how you went about achieving you know, the, the, the whole program around the change there? Yeah.
5: So um, as I said, a new CEO joined the business in April and I think he'd been in role for 10 days when we put him in front of 350 senior leaders in an online conference that was streamed over the web um, talking about the big picture of where we were heading. So he didn't go into details about a reorganization or restructure as such. What he did do was paint the picture of where we needed to get to. That gave the 350 people who joined an opportunity to to see the bigger picture, as it were. And actually a week before that, we shared with them all the content of this online conference um, so that they could have input and ask questions. A few months went by um, while those kind of ideas settled and we took on board their input and readapted things and started preparing for you know, a traditional kind of announcement. What we did before that, though, during the summer, was we worked out what process we were going to use uh, to do a, a big announcement like this. So 14,000 people receiving the same message all at the same time. How are we going to do this? So we got a team together of internal comms people, people who worked in the business already, but um, we identified them and said, we'd like you to join this based on your skills and experience and the role that you do. We got the team together and we all worked a process together involved union um, union reps because obviously unions are very significant in the rail industry not just in the UK but pretty much everywhere in the world and um, once we were sure that the process was going to work and we'd introduced some new channels that we need that we needed and where there were gaps we, we were ready to start with the, the actual message the message devising the message involved asking um, lots of awkward questions that's one of the main sort of values that internal comms brings to any business is Ask the interesting, awkward or dumb, what seem like dumb questions to get the detailed answer that you need because you know what people are going to ask. If you say something high level, you know what their next thoughts are going to be. So it's by identifying how to address those in the message and any subsequent communications. Um, We adapted existing channels as well so that as soon as the main announcement had been made, we started showing that there was change coming. So the announcement was talking about integrating teams. And in our internal comms channels, we started showing teams integrated, i.e. working on projects that were all meeting the objectives of the strategy that had been announced in April. So really demonstrating that this change was actually taking effect now, um, while this at the same time a process of drawing out organisational structures was happening. Um, so walking the talk quite literally.
0: What, what was the initial reaction then? Because I'm, I'm guessing with any kind of change, there's going to be positive and potentially negative yeah. views and, yeah. and thoughts. Well, it
5: actually, it's interesting because it varies by nationality. In Japan, they don't do reorgs, so they were kind of quietly curious. Um, they weren't really sure what was coming and really didn't know what to expect. In Italy, uh, which is the, the one of the other main kind of bases, um, there was a lot of uncertainty that a lot of overlap happens in teams in Italy from a new business that we 'd acquired and the existing business so there 's a lot of suspicion towards each other a, a quite a bit of grandstanding you know people really trying to demonstrate that they were good at what they did and they should be involved in everything in the u k It was a feeling of um, a lot more about being something being done to them which is quite interesting. In the UK, we'd just gone through a massive period of growth for four years. We delivered this big £6 billion contract, and people were really worried that despite working really hard and almost being a startup business for the last four years and delivering all this return on investment and bringing revenue in, that they would be impacted in a negative way, way by the change. So, yeah, I won't use the same word that I used when I was talking in the conference, but people were very, you know... From, from kind of mildly interested to quite unhappy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so following on from all that activity then, has your um, new CEO won over the team and the staff?
5: I think there's still a lot to do. I think he recognises that as well. Um, just the other day we had a conversation about people understanding how a matrix organisation works and he had um, already seen that people really didn't understand what the kind of touch points are when you're delivering a project. Uh, There's newly formed teams and you've got double reporting lines and people aren't really sure about who's responsible for signing off certain things. So he recognises that there's a lot of work to do and actually in his most recent kind of monthly message which I write with him he said i understand that you know change like this can bring a lot of uncertainty particularly because it's about roles and responsibilities so i think he's starting to realize that you need to touch on those kind of sensitive topics and that it's okay to do that and the more he does that i'm sure the more he'll be able to win people over and the easier the the reorganization will be when it kind of takes place in february
0: brilliant well thank you for um being so honest and sharing that case study with us um uh, just to finish off um i'm keen to just find out your three best practice tips in communicating through a time of change like you've been through um obviously or or, and are still going through at the moment
5: the first thing i would say is establish a really waterproof process When you've got a a mixed group of people speaking different languages um, with fear of um, change and uncertainty about what's going to happen to them, the one thing that they could depend on in that situation is a process. So get a process for communicating, agree on it, and make sure everybody's clear about it. The second thing I would say is um, be the people who ask the awkward questions. Um, I really enjoy that these days. I used to hate doing that, but now I actually enjoy doing it. So, uh, yeah, ask the awkward questions. Um, Use what you know about human psychology to kind of dig down deep and get people to think about the impact of decisions that they're making. And um, three, yeah, be, be the change you want to see in the world. It's a famous Gandhi quote, but I think it really does apply in this situation. You need to demonstrate that you're changing as well, that you're changing your internal comms practices. So in this case, we're talking about integration and bringing teams together. Start doing that in your channels where you didn't do it before. Signify that change yourself by acting differently and doing things differently. That's
0: great. Um, Vanessa Amwin, uh, thank you for joining the show. Thank you. So earlier we spoke to Stuart Williamson from Nationwide Building Society, who spoke in the session about getting through to senior leadership teams to drive the internal comms agenda. Um, another person who was talking in that session is Adam Clatworthy, Integrated Communications Senior Specialist at SAP UK and Ireland. And I'm delighted to say that Adam joins us now.
4: Adam, you've got a slightly unique role at, at SAP. Do you want to just explain
0: that? Because it's not just about internal comms, is
4: it? Yeah. So um, a bit a bit about me. My background is um, all agency side, so um, external. Comms for a PR agency for uh, over 12 years, working in the tech side. But joining SAP, I've got quite a unique role in that I'm um, integrated communications. So what does that mean? It means I obviously have to look after the internal comms, which is why I'm here today, but also external. Communications from a PR perspective, and also executive communications for our UK MD Yen Zamar. So uh, I have to make sure I'm looking after what he's saying, um, both internally and externally, but also um, more broadly for the SAP brand as well. So it's a it's a fantastic um, role because you you get involved in a lot of the uh, very senior discussions. So
0: I'm sure. Now, um, do you want to talk us through the example that you you were presenting um, a little earlier?
4: Yeah. So um, it was really just to sort of demonstrate the value in, in building relationships with stakeholders it's obviously very important that you build them from a a senior leadership perspective. So I sit on all the SLT meetings on a weekly basis where everyone on the UK board goes through all the key priorities for the week. Uh, which is very important to understand not just w- what are the decisions being made at a board level, but why they're being made. So um, getting that context that will help um, drive the strategy from a commons perspective. Um, but you cannot underestimate the value in building relationships at all levels, whether it's the facilities manager, whether it's um, head of HR, whether it's PAs of all of the key executives um, across the business, because they're the ones that can really open doors for you. And I really see my, my role, primary role, as a connector. I have to connect the dots uh, and make sure that I'm arming the senior leadership team with the right information because that's really where I can demonstrate my value. And one example I gave was, obviously, we had the the terrible... Um, incidents last week in London and we very quickly established that one of our offices, we have eight offices in the UK, one of them was actually within the police cordon. Where so you're, you're referring like, to, I should say,
0: just for other listeners, sorry, you're yes. referring to the attacks on London on, Bridge. On
4: London Bridge. Yeah. So that's obviously a very distressing situation and, and for us um, at a leadership level we need to understand uh, all our staff are safe. Um, we had employees in the building so we had to get out of communication very quickly to all of our 5,000 employees and basically advise them to stay away from the area Um, if you are trapped in the office, giving them guidance on, on what they should do and what they should be prepared for. And, and really we had to understand what the police were saying. They were giving out recommendations on Twitter so we had to be across that. But one of the things that was really useful to us is that I'd built up a relationship with um, well, the receptionist that was working in that office and some of the, um, the staff that were working on that day uh, and she was fantastic. She was able to provide us with that real minute-by-minute updates on who was working in the building that day. Um, we were quite lucky in that it was the, the old company Christmas party the night before so it was generally fairly quiet in the building. So um, she was able to To give us that information on a minute by minute basis, which was really valuable to us, because then we could arm the head of HR, we could arm the UK managing director with that information, and then I could obviously build the communications around that. So we we essentially went out in three stages. The first stage was letting people know that something had happened and and advising them to stay away from the area. The second communication was letting them know that if anyone is, is trapped in the building, this is the guidance that's being provided by the police. And then finally, obviously with it being a Friday and and at that point staff are all very concerned about their uh, colleagues that could have been potentially in the building, letting them know that they're all safe and accounted for and just stay safe, giving that recommendation and real advice and showing a bit of empathy. I think that's very important for a business of our size, showing that the leadership team, everyone in the organisation cares for all of their, their peers and colleagues and it's just getting that information out really quickly. So, That's where just an example to bring to life why it's so important for us as comms professionals to build those relationships at all levels, and never underestimate the value in a connection or a contact that's made, no matter how trivial it may be. They can often come up trumps in a situation like that.
0: I'm sure. Is is that something that you'd plan for at all? Could you plan for that kind of scenario?
4: Absolutely not. Um, And usually, in any kind of Um, issue or crisis situation you can never plan for every eventuality often it's um, things happen very quickly which again it's so important in my role to have that map of all the key stakeholders so who do I go to in a crisis situation who's going to get me that information in a very timely manner so that I'm armed with all the information and um, and I'm sure you can look at a hundred different crisis situations they will they will all develop and evolve very differently so you can never plan for that kind of eventuality but again it just shows you have to be prepared in terms of knowing the right people that can get you get you the information in a, in a timely manner. So that's a
0: really interesting, um, in- interesting case study you shared there, Adam. Were there any other tips that you gave the delegates in terms of skills required?
4: Yeah, and it kind of follows on from the, the building those relationships. Um, and it's not something you can convince um, senior executives of. You, you ultimately need to prove it. Um, And sometimes it takes a long time. There's no silver bullet to to earning that trust and and respect from your senior leaders. Often they're very one-track minded. They're about um, delivering success for the organisation. And so one of the things I've really learned since I joined, it's, it's not just your communication skills that they're looking to. It's really about being a trusted advisor. So... Understanding what is going on outside of the business that will potentially have um, an impact on your, on the business itself. Um, so, what are the kind of broader socio-economic implications? Whether it be Brexit, whether it be um, trade deals, whether it be other um, events that are happening. How do you bring that into the um, visibility of your executives and and demonstrate that you're ahead of the curve, um, you're aware of the trends, and providing that counsel? Because often they're very much caught inside their bubble of, like I said, delivering their objectives and their their role um, leading the company. So how can you come in and really... Um, prove that you are um, an advisor to them and you're you're challenging them. You're providing them with with the right information that's going to help them do their job better. So it's really about understanding the the impact of the trends outside the organisation and how that can impact um, inwards. So um, that's just something that I've learnt. It it really helps you build that credibility um, across the organisation. And sometimes um, you do have to battle To earn that trust, sometimes you'll just click uh, with certain characters and certain stakeholders. Everyone's different. We're all people at the end of the day. It's not a failure if if you're really fighting to to earn that trust and credibility. It just means you have to adapt and evolve and and change your approach, um, change your mentality and getting the right result.
0: Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, um, I think uh, they're about to all pile out from uh, one of the sessions for another break. So uh, for now, um, Adam, uh, thank you for joining the show. Thanks very much. So enjoyed it. So we're recording this final interview of the uh, podcast at lunch, so it's a little bit loud here at the moment, but delighted to be joined by Phil Ascombe, Global Head of Employee Communications at HSBC, who earlier today took part in a panel session looking at the future of internal communications. So, Phil, I thought that would be a good way to finish off the episode, you know, looking ahead. But before we think about what internal comms will look like in, say, five years' time, do we need to start thinking about how organisations
6: will be structured? Yeah, and uh, the buzz phrase of that panel session just ended was the future is now. So we're now seeing the mega trends which will kind of define the shape of organisations in the future. I read recently some reports from the World Economic Forum and they name three in particular. Job displacement, we know that, and we've been on that trail with the adoption of AI and machine learning tools. Um, it does take out some human work hours, but offset it by... New roles. The second trend they pointed to was a kind of boundaryless, more porous workforce where you've got a kind of ecosystem of a core business served by its suppliers, serving its customers, and the connectivity between all those moving parts is really vital. And comms can play a really helpful role there in binding that disparate community together under a single purpose. And then the third trend was personalization I and mean, kind of setting their own terms of why you join and what you want from your employer. We've got you know five generations in our workforce now, from the baby Boomers all the way through to Generation Z. So they're all very different. They want different things from work, different expectations. And increasingly the kind of the Generation Z crowd will, you know, with the numbers game, they will be the dominant force. So we need to kind of really adjust and adapt to that expectation
0: of work. I was going to ask, actually. I mean, what other challenges do you think that all these uh, changes are
6: going to bring? Well, it's always been, you know, since the rise of the smartphone, it's been increasingly hard to compete for the attention, frankly, of any audience. I think that's the ever... The constant struggle for communicators is to capture attention. That won't change. That will just get harder. So we need to work harder on more compelling content, more human stories, things which, you know, compete with the best on the on the web. I mentioned purpose and it's not kind of imposing your corporate purpose or kind of struggling to identify your purpose. You need to know where you're going, what you stand for, and and articulate that really well to your employees. But also, you know, you can't expect that to resonate equally with everyone. Increasingly people being their own personal purpose to work. And if it resonates With the company, you know that's fantastic. If it doesn't, then maybe the the ties are weaker, and and if something else comes up uh, in their lives, that they'll leave you, and that's just the way it is.
0: So, based on all that, then what what do internal communicators need to do now to prepare for
6: their future success? Be curious and you know open to how your organisation is evolving and what the needs are of the leadership group and the frontline employees, particularly. Get your digital skills in good shape, because that is the future. Help HR, because they've got a huge job to do in upscaling the workforce um, that you're serving. So have those conversations about the HR's workforce st- strategy and how comms can help position that and, and you know, help in the, in the process of developing people by understanding future context and promoting those training interventions that help upskill the workforce. Phil,
0: you've been at HSBC for 12 years, but you've worked in internal comms for over 15 years. Is, is this the most exciting time to be working in internal comms, would you say?
6: It is exciting. Um, comms is always exciting because it's constantly evolving. It's evolving with the technology um, and with society, frankly. So, yeah, it's, it's a great time to be a communicator. I think this event just um, has lots of fresh ideas and, and energy about it, which is a good sign. So, yeah, I think, you know, good times ahead for internal comms.
0: That's great. Thanks, Phil, for uh, joining us. And in fact, that wraps up this first of two episodes that we're recording at the PR Week Strategic Internal Communications Conference. So thanks to all my guests who took the time to chat to us today and to the organising team at PR Week for making it happen. Uh, There'll be a second episode to follow this. uh, So make sure you look out for that on your podcast feed. But in the meantime, we hope you got a lot out of all the interviews today and we'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topic of internal communications. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do that on our Facebook page, Twitter feed, or LinkedIn and Instagram pages, which are all linked from the top of the website at c uh, where you'll also find all our previous uh, shows and supporting show notes. You can also subscribe for automatic downloads on your favourite podcast app. Just search for The c Podcast. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well, or you can reach me via Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.